0: Good to see each and every one of you. I hope you are ready to celebrate the birth of our Savior. Tonight, I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to open them to Matthew 2. And we're going to look at the first 12 verses, a very familiar passage, but we're going to ask a question tonight. And for the children here, I want you to remember what we taught you a couple months ago, how we're going to look at the text in their town, meaning the people who lived in the Bible long ago, We're going to look and we're going to answer some questions and we're going to discover what they went through. And then we're going to see how we can apply it to our lives today in our town. And we connect those two towns, kids, if you remember, by a principle bridge. And so we want to see some timeless principles that we can apply for our lives today. So our text is Matthew 2, 1 through 12. And our question is also the title of our message tonight. And it is How Can We Have a Wise Christmas? How can we have a wise Christmas? So before I give you all my opinions, I think it would be wiser if we actually hear from the Word of God. So allow me to read our text, and we'll dive in. Here we go. This is the Word of God. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least of the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that went that they had seen went and it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed their own country by another way. This is the word of God, let's pray. Father, I pray now that on this Christmas Eve you would teach us from your word how we too could have a wise Christmas. Help us to discover what the wise men discovered so many years ago by how they sought you and what they brought you. And may we learn how to seek you today and what to bring you also. And we ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. And the church said, amen. All right, so there's a couple things we don't know when we read this passage. For instance, we actually don't know how many wise men there were. Now, traditionally, we say three because of the three gifts, but it could have been 30. We actually don't know. We also don't know where they're from. Some biblical scholars say Babylon. Others say Persia. What we do know is that they came from a long ways and from the east, this also dispels some other things about looking to the east to follow a star. Since they're from the east, being a little bit of a guy that dabbled in navigation, they probably were looking to the west. And so they came from the east, but we know they came from a very long ways, 300 miles, 900 miles, and so we know there was discomfort, and there was great distance, and even great danger. We also, boys and girls, don't know if they rode camels. They may have rode horses. Pretty good chance they didn't ride in a four truck, right? So, <laughs> We know that the traveling distance for them was great, and there was also great danger. Now, to emphasize just one area of the danger, let me emphasize this. King Herod was not one to be troubled with. When you saw that Jerusalem was troubled with him, it was for great reason. You see, this king, he was so uncomfortable with his reign that he killed his own mother, he killed some of his brothers, He killed one of his favorite wives, and then he cried about that for a long time, and he even killed some of his own sons. And then to make matters even worse, when you read just a little bit further, we discover that he had all the baby boys under the age of two to be killed also because the wise men deceived him and did not go back and tell him. And then to cap it off if you're not convinced that he was a murderous, evil man, he then had a list of people set aside to be killed the day he would die, because he wanted the whole town of Jerusalem to cry and he knew none would cry when he departed. So we're talking about a very evil man and a lot of danger. But how did the wise men seek to know about Jesus? Well I suggest three things that I've learned from God's word. One is that the Holy Spirit actually worked in their lives. You see the Bible tells us that no one seeks after God. So God placed it on their hearts to go looking for him. And then we know that they actually searched the scriptures. So Micah 5-2 was the prophecy that they referred to. And they actually knew the scriptures. And so Micah 5-2 led them on this journey along with the Holy Spirit guiding them. And then, let's not overstate the obvious, how about the star? Now, once upon a time, great scientists would debate that maybe this was a comet or a supernova. But after putting a little bit of research into this, it just didn't seem feasible that this could show up and reappear multiple times. So what most biblical scholars believe the star is, is the actual Shekinah glory of God. Just like in Exodus, when God led his people, he had led them by a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire by night. And so we believe the Shekinah glory of God actually led these wise men to the location and the birth of Jesus Christ. So that's some of the things we know on how he, the wise men sought the Lord Jesus. But then we wanna also look at what he brought them, specifically the gifts that they brought. So one, we see gold. Back then, gold was the most precious metal. It was something that could not be replaceable and it's something that you should bring before a king. And so gold was very important. And they also brought frankincense. Frankincense was set aside in the Old Testament for worship of God only. And so this was something for the high priest. So you have a gift for a king. You have a gift for a high priest. But then, and many babies here tonight, many of you would probably be a little alarmed if someone showed up and gave your baby myrrh. Myrrh, if you don't know, and the little four-year-old girl that I interviewed for the little Todd Talk, she actually answered it correctly, and we didn't use that in the video. She goes, it's for embalming dead bodies. (laughs) And I was like, that's right. That's a really good answer for a four-year-old. So if you didn't know what myrrh was, it's for embalming dead bodies. Probably not the classic gift you give a newborn, right? And here's something else. There's a little bit of time elapsed here, right? Because King Herod had all the baby boys killed under the age of what? Two, right? So this was not baby Jesus in the manger in a feeding trough on top of hay. He was in a home with his mother Mary. And you'll notice what the wise men did when they showed up, and they gave these gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They bowed down and they worshiped him. That's what's significant in this story. Don't miss it. They sought Jesus, and then they brought Jesus these precious gifts. Now, I believe with all my heart that God led them there, and I believe what's something that's pretty interesting, too, when you consider who Matthew is and his story, and I know a lot of you know it, is that he was a tax collector right and he was despised by a lot of the other people the early believers but Matthew records the first people worshiping the Lord Jesus as gentiles and Matthew the whole gospel is geared for the Jewish audience how fascinating is it that God sent Christ to the earth and the first people worshiping in the gospel of Matthew is actually gentiles and then later on and we'll talk about this when we send each other out in the great commission Christ then sends the church to tell the world about his kingdom. So just something fascinating about this. But as I was thinking about this memorable story, one of the things that got impressed upon me is, Todd, if it's so memorable, you shouldn't need notes to share this with people. And so that's maybe why you don't see a podium up here with an iPad and all my notes, because it is a memorable story. And it's a simple story. And boys and girls, this is what I want you to walk away with. We learned in their town some of the ways that the wise men sought Jesus and what they brought him. But the question is, how do we seek him today and what do we bring him ourselves? So let me make a suggestion. One, I know some people are watching online for various reasons and some of you are here and maybe exploring Christianity. And this is one of the things that I love sharing. I've got friends that are atheist or at least that's the title they use in the beginning of the story. And I will share with you that if you're here tonight and you're like, you know what, I'm here by total accident, Todd, because a friend invited me. I wanna let you know that you're not here by accident, that God has you here for a specific reason. One of the things I've discovered, sharing with friends that don't believe in God is this, and I call it the napkin you know, illustration, but basically picture a piece of paper in front of me, and it's the known knowledge of the whole universe. And I would ask you a question, are you an open-minded or closed-minded atheist? And most people respond, I have no idea what you're talking about. I said, well, let's just say you're open-minded. And I put a dot on the little piece of paper, and I say, this is what I know in all of the universe. I give them the pen, I say, let me know what you know. And if they're pretty full of themselves, they draw a big circle around my little dot to let them know they know more than me. The point is that they don't know everything, and who does? None of us could raise our hand and say we know everything. And then I ask a question to you tonight, if that's where you're at or that's where you're at at home. Is it possible that God could live outside of your known knowledge? Is it possible? And most rational people I've met with have said, well, yes, it's possible. And that's where I get to say congratulations. You're not an atheist, you're an agnostic. And then I ask you the same question. Are you an open-minded agnostic or are you a closed-minded agnostic? And what I mean by that is, if God lives outside of your known knowledge, would you wanna know him? Because if you do, I have good news. It's called the gospel. Did you know According to the Bible, God created every boy and girl, man and woman, to be with him. But the Bible also lets us know that our sin separates us from God. And that really is frustrating, isn't it? Because we all have a sin nature. Look around this room. Look to your left and right. Honestly, look to the left and right. Did you realize everybody is just as messed up as you? That should be good news, right? I take heart in that. Because sometimes we come to a church building and pretend that we got it all put together but it's not true, we're a mess, and we all have a sin problem. And to make matters worse, our sins cannot be removed by good deeds. And that's frustrating because we've been taught since we were little, if you do something, you get something. But that's not what the Bible describes as salvation. You see, God knew we couldn't earn our salvation, and that's why he sent his son Jesus to be born. He sent God to be born as a baby to be cared for and live this perfect life and to die in your place and to die in mine so that we could have hope. And the best news of all is he didn't leave him dead. He showed he had power over the grave and he raised him three days later to show that he can conquer the grave. And the part I love sharing with every man and woman, boy and girl is this, everyone, everyone who places their faith and trust in what Jesus has done can have eternal life and that eternal life can begin today. That's the gospel, that's the good news. Now, for those of you that are already followers of Christ, what do you bring God Almighty? You realize he owns everything, right? Sometimes we think we're doing him a big favor when we give 10% or whatever percent we think is noteworthy. But realize he owns the whole dollar. So when we give him gifts, we give cheerfully because he's the creator of everything, and everything we have is his. But then we also want to think about our worship. When we worship God, we don't just worship God when we sing songs, when we sit under the word. We worship God when we're alone in our homes. We worship God when we're out there in nature. I love being outside and just sitting in God's creation. When my wife and I lived in Alaska with our kids, it was really hard to miss the fact that God created everything. Just creation itself screamed that he was alive and doing well. And so for you, whether it's your giving, your gifts, your gold, your worship, or your life, your very life. Think about this, we should lay our lives down at the altar and be willing to serve. You see, the verse that changed my life when I was a young man was Mark 10, 45. It said this, for the Son of Man didn't come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When I realized the creator of the universe came to live and to live as a servant, What choice do I have if I'm gonna call myself his follower? So wherever God has placed you as his children tonight, make sure you're serving him with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. That's the gospel, that's the good news and that's what I wanna share with you tonight. So in closing, one of the things that I also observed as I studied the gospels over many years now is that they actually don't make a big deal about the birth of Jesus they highlight it and they show it. But you know what they do celebrate? They celebrate his death and resurrection. And that's why every Sunday we observe communion together. That's why tonight, here in just a moment, we're also gonna observe communion. For every man, woman, boy, and girl that's placed their faith in Christ, tonight we are gonna observe communion. We're gonna remember what the Lord Jesus did. Not only did he go to that cradle, but he also went to the cross. And the best news of all is that he's coming back with that crown because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's why we worship him. So allow me to read from God's word from 1 Corinthians 11. And then I will invite you to grab the elements in the front and the back. And if you're not a follower of Christ tonight, don't worry about this. We can talk to you later about it. But know this, this is for every man and woman that's placed their faith in our Lord Jesus. So listen to God's word. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Take a moment, church, to gather the elements and then I'll lead us as we observe communion together.